0: Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way. Love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my daughter and co host. Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Hey, Lauren.
1: Hi, Dad. How are you?
0: Scared you, didn't I?
1: (laughs) Caught me off guard.
0: We'll be talking with our guest in a moment, Julie Belay, and we're going to be talking uh, about one of life's most difficult topics, and that's grieving the loss of a loved one. But let me tell you a little bit about Julie, and this is a really remarkable lady. She has a master's degree in clinical nutrition and is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and board-certified sports dietitian. In her private practice, she specializes in eating disorders, sports nutrition, and weight management. She teaches a sustainable and flexible no diet, real food approach with her clients. So the the no diet, I guess, is really applicable to really eating appropriately and healthfully, which I know you and I try to do, Lauren. You know, even though we are both marathoners, seasoned marathoners, let let me just compare us to Julie. Julie Uh, is a four-time Ironman triathlete. Four times, not just once. And five-time marathoner and completed the legendary Leadville 100-mile mountain bike race. Uh, I'm going to, right after this podcast, I'm going to put my sneakers on and I'm going to try not to feel embarrassed. And Lauren, I know you know Julie and she's a very special person in your life. So tell me a little bit about her.
1: Yeah, Julie is an inspiration and also a treasured friend of mine. And um, she's shared with us that her life's greatest gift has been being a mom to her two sons, Ryder, who's 15 years old. He is a competitive swimmer and an avid mountain biker. And Chase, who's a talented artist and visionary thinker. Chase would have been 14 this week, but tragically he died from a rare brain tumor almost four years ago at the age of 10. I happen to know firsthand that Chase's legacy continues to inspire all who are lucky enough to know him. I was blessed to be Chase's teacher for two years. And I'm so grateful that Julie is here with us today because she will be able to discuss the magic of Chase and the complex intricacies of, of grief. And I think we could all agree that grief is the most difficult of human experiences. And today we're just truly honored to have Julie with us to help us to understand maybe a more courageous way to untangle this chaos of grief. So Julie, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're wondering if maybe you could start off but just by sharing with us a little bit about your journey in the last couple of years. Yeah um gosh it's it's been i guess
2: 5 Chase was diagnosed in, in early around this time in 2016 and his with this brain tumor that it was universally fatal they call it so there was really no no survival statistics available so 15 months later he became one of those statistics, statistics and um so that was about three years and nine months ago. So that journey of the cancer itself and the treatment and then losing him has been a, a about five years now. So it's not been easy for sure, but um, somehow we get through it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, the somehow, I guess it's a personal thing, isn't it? Everyone grieves differently. I, I, grief itself is universal, but I think the expression of it is very individual. Don't you agree?
2: Oh, yeah. And I think that when that's sort of one of the things that you get is that when it happens to you, you, you completely accept the way other people are grieving. And and sort of say, whatever that person's got to do is what that person's got to do. And whatever I'm doing is what I got to do. So yeah, you def- definitely have an appreciation for that.
0: You know, one thing, one thing I've always felt about grief is that you kind of grieve alone, in spite of people all around you. It's 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 a lonely place to be. And I know I've gone through a few expressions of grief in my life, but but it's almost like you you, you really can't find solace any other way. It has to come from within. Do you agree with that, Lauren?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'm curious to hear Julie's perspective on that because it, I guess in my in my experiences in the past, I would say that's definitely true.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it is a very lonely place, even though everybody has their thing. And even in my journey, I've been so fortunate to have met people who have lost children, many, many in similar fashion. And so you're in this totally in this club with these people who do get it and they, they come the closest. But, but I think it's just because that your person is your person and their person is their person. And so you know, they don't understand that, right? So really it is your own thing because it's your, everybody's personal loss is different.
1: How would you give advice to people that want to support someone who's grieving but don't necessarily know how to, what to say, what to do? That's a good
2: question. And um, there's no easy answer um, because sadly, sometimes we don't know what we need. So you get that those really meaningful people that that are like, let me know if you need anything, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you don't really know what you need. So I usually suggest that people just do something, mm. you know, drop that thing off at their house, send them a text you know sort of just do whatever you feel like doing and sometimes it's exactly what that person needs Mm. right at that moment you know and then especially i think now almost four years later those things become particularly special because people do move on and people do forget you know i guess in some ways Mm. so that little reminder that someone else remembers you know your your child is is pretty special right
0: Did you find that that people in their own discomfort were kind of avoiding you and not Mm -hmm. wanting to?
2: Yeah. You know, and that's pretty universal from what I've experienced in the people that I have met on this journey is that you lose friends and you gain them, you know, and sometimes sadly, the people that you never thought you would lose, the people that you thought would be there are not the same people. And that's another loss. Um, I have lost several very close friends since Chase's death and uh, I've had to grieve that too Um, and it's surprising and it feels sort of hurtful but on the flip side of that people have come out of you know like lotuses coming out and you just go oh wow I I didn't know this person was so good of a friend or or knew how to do that
0: so yeah I would I would guess that a lot of people uh, they they tend to want to just be in denial themselves. And to have to stay in touch with someone who's grieving, it puts them in a place where this, neurotically, they just don't want to have to handle that. They want to just, you know, kick it down the road and just go into their denial and move on. And it's it's a disservice to both that person and the person grieving. But nevertheless, uh, not everyone uh, is courageous enough. And I would say that you certainly from everything I know about you, Julie, are one of the most courageous people I know. And it's not just because of your your record running all those things you do. But uh, tell us a little bit about courage.
2: Oh, geez. I mean, that's the other thing is that, you know, when you go through this, you know, you often get the comment of how brave you are and how strong you are. And we don't feel that way because most of the time we're looking at the days that we're not brave and we're not strong and and sort of lamenting that we don't that we couldn't have been better and be better right so but then if you really think about it you know we are brave and we are strong because that's the only way you can be when this happens to you
0: potentially we are brave and strong
2: yeah you're not really given a choice
0: yeah not (laughs) everybody manifests that and i guess you know, I guess for you getting to that courage, I guess it's a process. I mean, you have to claim mm-hmm. courage within. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's hard. You know, because again, you know, the the things that I did before this happened to me were all voluntary. You know, all those marathons, and you know, I, I sort of make the the analogy that you know when that those things hurt. I, I, you know, I was choosing that, that pain, you know, mm. and this is not, this is a different kind of thing. This is something that happened to me. So, I mean, I certainly have used like that, those experiences to help me in this, but it, it definitely is still a different thing. Well, That's,
0: that's really significant you? that you chose the pain of the marathon. You're right. It's so poignant and you did not obviously choose this pain. Right. Amazing. Mm.
1: Yeah. I'm curious too because I um I ever since your first son Ryder was born your identity has probably been very strongly attached to being a mother. So after losing Chase, I'm just curious to know like how do you continue to find meaning and purpose as I know that that you do and and as you've shared with me in the past like Chase continues to fuel that for you. So I'm curious if you could share that with our listeners.
2: Yeah, that's always the question, like, what do I get up every day? And, um, you know, m- most of us who still have living ch- children who are fortunate to still have that, you know, say that's it, you know, and that's certainly a large part of it. But I've been tried to be very careful and not to have that be my only reason to get up every day, because, you know, that's a lot to put on another human being being there, risen for living. So I try to find other meaning and other ways to sort of Create my own purpose um, through my work, you know, through connections with other people, through giving back. You know, our community was unbelievably generous and thoughtful when we were dealing with with Chase's illness, and and since then, and so, just sort of like passing that that forward in some way has been part of you know how I create meaning too. Mm-hmm.
0: Julie, with with meaning what comes to mind also is like the the polar opposites grief and joy can they coexist in in one person
2: that's like that's been i think the the craziest thing to sort of try to experience because when you first like laugh again, you know whenever that is a d- days or weeks you know you might find yourself laughing after your child has been taken away from your house, you know, in an ambulance, you know, you laugh and you go like, how can I laugh? Mm. Like, how's that? I'm not supposed to laugh. But at the same time, you know, you do. (laughs) So, you know, you, you learn that, wow, like I, these two things have to exist at the same time.
0: At first, at first, if you try to connect with joy, is there a guilt involved that you're not allowed or you're not supposed to? Oh yeah. Hmm. Oh
2: yeah. (laughs) you're not supposed to be happy. Mm. And that's one thing to go back to the question is how you can support somebody. People say, well, Oh, they wouldn't want you to be like that. And I don't know, it's okay to tell yourself that, but sometimes hearing that from somebody else is not necessarily helpful. Like, of course I, I actually said this to my grief therapist that I, that I was really fortunate enough to go uh, to get into a study, a clinical trial that I did some therapy and she, she you know, I said to her, you know, I know my son and he wouldn't want me to be dancing around all the time. Like, I think, I think he was pretty practical and he'd be like, you're supposed to be sort of sad. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> you know, So, so, you know, I'm allowed to be sad, but, but yeah, like I, he wouldn't want me to be like sit in bed all day. Can you
0: tell us a little bit about the wonderful person Chase was. I know he's so uh-huh. creative and some of the things he's done. T- tell us a little bit about him.
2: So he was my second child after Ryder, who I loved dearly. Was a very uh, he was a difficult child. So because he had some health problems himself, that that thankfully he or not life threatening. So Chase was this easy Zen baby uh, who slept and laughed and didn't cause any problems and ate and um, and then grew into this little inquisitive, unique person who just thought out of the box from the beginning he could draw when he was two years old like actual drawing not scribbling <laughs> and then once he got into speaking which you know he didn't start doing till he was three but then he didn't stop and then he just can continue to amaze everyone with his you know sense of humor and just ability to you know think out of the box and and always ask the funniest questions. And he just seemed to have an old soul, which is sort of ironic, you know.
0: Let me ask Lauren. Lauren, in the classroom, what would you uh, observe with Chase?
1: It's so funny, Julie, just said old soul, because that was actually what I was thinking as soon as you brought him up. Um, he was a kid that I connected to immediately, I, long before his diagnosis, um, just right away he stood out as this kid who just knew things. And it was beyond, beyond any content that could ever be taught to him. He, he had this special understanding of people and their needs and the way to sort of, how do you say like, he he just inspired everyone who knew him. I really, I felt like his ability to show compassion to others was beyond that of an emotional, emotional intelligence of a third grader at the time. And one specific example I'm thinking of is the kids were coloring one day and he had his crayons out and he was coloring his picture. And the one little girl just could not find her crayon box. And she was starting to get like frustrated and nervous because she was And not able to finish her picture and chase like put his crayons back in his box and then gave her his entire box like he just handed it over so now he had nothing she had everything and she you know she's like thank you and so she's coloring and and um i watched this whole thing happen and and i said to him you know chase you could just give her like one or two and you could save some too and he was like yeah but she should have all the colors to choose from and i just remember that experience and it just sort of encapsulates chase to me because he had this heart of gold, you know.
0: Julie, is it hard to talk about Chase at this point?
2: You know, I'm like cheering up just hearing people talk about him. So hard in the fact that you might cry. Yeah. But, you know, talking, I think most of us bereaved parents, that's all we want to do is talk about our kids and to speak to the people that, you know, that you've lost as friends. I think that's part of it because they don't You know, they don't do Should I bring the child up? Should I talk about him? Is it okay? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to remind them. And, you know, the, the old adage is, you know, we don't need to be reminded. We remember all the time, you know, so yeah, like it's hard to talk about him because you get that, that grief, you know, that sadness, but it's so therapeutic to talk about
0: it speaking of therapeutic let's i would assume that there are people who are very interested in in how they might handle grief any what you've learned in your grief therapy and your own journey what what kinds of things do you feel are essential to do to feel to put in your on your plate when you're suffering from something like grief
2: yeah you know i think that that being gentle with yourself is probably the first Step um, because you know you're not the same person that you were, um, and so also I think letting go of the expectation that you'll ever be that person again, and and sort of not to expect it be some kind of linear
0: mm-hmm.
2: progression, you know, and getting used to the the waves, you know, and and the the unanticipated things about it. Um, I guess just sort of like being open-minded to whatever it turns into that day. Yeah,
0: I, I know working with some patients of mine going through a grief process, oftentimes there's waves of panic, just sheer panic. Uh, I guess feeling so out of control, and the world has been you know just turned inside out, and you you're, you just don't have your feet on the ground anymore, and you're feeling totally that loss of control. Did you go through any panic yourself?
2: Yeah, I don't. I, mine was more, you know, I don't want to call it PTSD, but just sort of like flashbacky trauma or just moments of surreality. You know, standing there in a grocery store and mm. shopping for one child. You know, making dinner, like like little odd things that that would trigger a lot of that. I don't think I had, you know, like huge panic or anxiety. Just more. Uh, shock for a while. Now it, I guess, it seems real. Three, four years later, I know that it's real. But, but you still sometimes go, "Is it? Is this really like?" Oh, it's still. I think that's after years. You start when it starts to stink, in that he's not coming back. The first year, you expect them to walk in the door, and then they don't. And then, as years go by, and they still don't walk in the door, you're like, "Okay, I guess." Yeah, they're never going to walk in the door.
0: You know, I've always I've always felt that the psyche uh, we we are, we really can't comprehend losing someone we love. It's like it just doesn't compute that someone can be here and not be here. Right. And and I think that there's a um a kind of maybe a natural tendency for the psyche to heal, but again, we talked about how that's a very personal thing. We can facilitate that, of course. But I guess there's, uh, at times, a numbingness that comes about. Uh, and, and, and as you said before, it's sometimes you just have to let things unfold. And, and, and I think that we, we have to respect the fact that, that you're going to grieve and find your way. But I think you need to trust that. You know, I think that you really need to yield to the impulses of the grieving process. Is that in line with the way you see things?
2: Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and as somebody who likes to plan and control and make spreadsheets, you know, like that, that's difficult, you know, to, to realize that there's, this is sort of fluid and, you know, but again, that, that's, that's, you do have to say like, this is, this is just, things are going to happen and I'm just going to have to deal with them as they happen. And, you know, that expectation that, you know, again, some days you're okay. And that's, it's okay to be okay. I mean, you always see that meme, you know, it's it's okay not to be okay, you know, but when you're grieving, you know, sometimes you're like, wow, it's okay to be okay. Mm. You know, if I'm okay today, that's, that's, that's okay. Mm. You know, like I don't have to be this, um, a non-functional person to prove that I'm grieving. Yeah.
1: yeah. Julie, can you share the story about Chase where, um, I know it was when he was getting treatment and, he was able to sort of share with you some of the positive things of the, of the day. I remember I can't remember the story exactly, but I remember it being so powerful cuz he actually like changed your perspective even though he was the one struggling.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, he he certainly spun cancer in a way that that I don't know that anybody ever has. But he um it was later in his treatment. So he had already been through a lot. And so you would certainly anticipate a nine-year-old to be complaining and, and whatever, but he really never did. And I was grateful enough and, and fortunate enough to be able to be with him at pretty much every everything he, he did. And we were going into New York City and the traffic, we had done that every day. And he couldn't go to school and we had to go in and spend the whole day in the hospital for some kind of study. And, and I said, oh, you know, Chase, this is terrible. Uh, why do we have to do this? I don't want to do this anymore." And you know, and he said, "Mommy, you always say, you know, there's something good and bad about everything." And I, and I was like, "Right, but I, you know, what could possibly be good about this?" And I don't know, and I couldn't think of anything. And there, from the back seat of the car, he said, "But well, we get to spend the whole day together." <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, uh, that was it, you know, that's that's how he looked at things. Yeah. So I tried to do that about even his passing, which is really hard because finding something good about the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is is not a natural
0: thing. Now Chase was he was so unique. And I I know from Lauren. I was invited to go to the class one time, the classroom and Lauren, it was something with a uh, pirate ship. Do you remember what that was?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We did a, it was a unit on the explorers. So we made our own pirate ship and Chase was appointed the artist.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember there were, there were various uh, examples of Chase's artwork all around. Uh, just talk a little bit, Lauren, if you would, and then Julie, if you want to jump in with this, please uh, about I mean, I say this literally the incredible, talent this young guy had. I mean, it it was incredible. Lorne, you first, please.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, his, his output, his drawings and all were incredible, but also his way of seeing things was so different. And I think that's what made his art so special because he, he really could look at like the most mundane thing and turn it into something special. And I think that's why his life really touched so many people because he was able to just transform things that, you know, people overlook all the time and make them into beauty and art. And so to me, that's what made him so special. And I just wanna share really quickly, um, there was one time, this is not necessarily art, although we might be able to call it like living art, but (laughs) he had taken, he was trying to make the kids laugh at school and he became, he put on this little skit called the Waddling Pile of Clothes. And so he somehow like, contorted his body to fit all inside of his shirt and you couldn't see anything but like his ankles and he would waddle around and you know he had this special voice for the waddling pile of clothes and the kids loved it in fact I think all of the kids uh wanted to be that for Halloween that year (laughs) Um, but it just that speaks to his ability to see something that we would never consider to be art or humor and and transform it
0: there were lots of extraterrestrials in his work weren't there
1: yeah, all aliens and, and
2: monsters and things. Um he he used to say that he couldn't draw real life, you know. Well, let me
0: interrupt a second, but you say aliens and monsters, it gives the wrong impression. These were adorable. Right. Right. They
2: were all very nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were some bad guys, I guess, <laughs> but there was always a good guy. Yeah. You know. But yeah, he liked those sort of forces of, of good and evil kind of kind of uh when he would do a scene you know but yeah they were they were pretty wild but but in 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 terms of his art yeah it was special but he also again didn't those inspirations came from inside his head and like didn't exist he didn't copy things he wouldn't follow directions like when he got a lego set Forget it. Like he would just take the pieces he wanted and build whatever he wanted out of them. And that used to drive his OCD mother crazy because I wanted to build everything the way it was supposed to be. But he he couldn't he wouldn't do that. So that's what he used to do with all his art. It just um it was his his it its own thing. And and that was what was very special about there's it.
0: One, there's one, there was one, it was like a green, like almost an octopusy kind alien of guy. So, yeah, he's an alien guy. The colors. The colors. Uh, he was so expressive. And the colors to me are emotion. And, and that I remember the green of that 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 critter was just so impressive. And his artwork is special. Julie I I am not sure where I read it, but it was part of something you've said or written about grief brain. Mm.
1: Can
0: you call that? Recall that? Can you tell us a little bit yeah, about Yeah.
2: So I, you know, I've read some stuff in groups I'm in and you know. It's there's a fog I think that comes along with this that I think has been documented. You can tell me, but um, you know, like a, a memory problems and fogginess um, that seems to be part of this. Um, you know, I don't know at, at this point if I can distinguish that be, be, between being in my a fifty or some year old woman and and that maybe it's a combination, but. Uh, Yeah, your brain doesn't, there seems to be some, some brain things that go on that are also frustrating because you are trying to get back to being functional and, and you have to go to work and all those things. And so that's, it's another struggle.
0: Mm. One of the things that intrigues me is just how varied, I mean, your resume is just incredible. Can you explain a little bit about your, your no diet and just some of the things Mm. you do? I mean, it's just, Yeah, just so many things that you do a sports certified dietitian and a no diet and wow. Tell, tell us a little bit more about, about your creativity.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I've come to my job, honestly, like my mother always says, you know, and, and I really have found that, that the diet mentality is really hurting us as a society. And, so what I do in my work, if somebody comes to me with an overweight problem, you know, I don't hand out diets. You know, we, we talk about how we balance. Most people that come to me have been on all the diets anyway. So so I try to be the last so-called diet they're on. And I looked up the word diet. Uh, I don't know twenty years ago, um, thinking about it, and the word root is is Greek or Latin, and it means a way of life. Mm. And I, I just really found that interesting because in the US at least we've sort of bastardized that word to mean restriction and not fun and can't have. And I really try to get back to that that meaning, like this is your way of life. So it needs to be sustainable and flexible um, and enjoyable. <laughs> so I don't take out foods if, if they're not medically, you know. <laughs> contraindicated.
0: I, I wrote a book called Thin From Within. And uh, it was a book on, on you know, maintaining a healthy weight. But I feel, you know, the, of course, the psychological component can never be divorced from the actions one takes. And I'm just going to go ahead and assume you agree with that. Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay.
2: 100%. And, you know, although I'm not a, a, a therapist or a psychologist, you know, I I try to bring the mindfulness to, to that um, and help people you know, figure out the cues and figure out how to create an environment where it becomes easier, but also where they are managing their, their cues and really getting back in touch with true physiological hunger and, and satiety.
1: Julie, I know going back to Chase quickly, uh, there are certain things that you do um, in order to honor his legacy and obviously, we know that he has such a strong spiritual presence on around us all. But, but in terms of honoring the legacy of, of who he was and spreading those uh, things that we know that he would want projected into the world, like his creativity and just his love for people. Um, and each year, you've been doing something special to celebrate his birthday. And so I was wondering if you wanted to share about your awesome idea for this week
2: yeah so his birthday is february 3rd he'd be 14 and um the last couple years we've done you know acts of kindness which have been tremendous and and meaningful um but i thought that this year with this sort of the pandemic changes all that it's it's hard to do acts of kindness when you can't see someone in person um so i thought let's you know ironically let's be creative and do something different this year and of course chase was a creative soul and and something that i've done in his i can't draw like him so i had to find some other outlet for myself so i started uh making jewelry um so that's been a creative outlet for me to help me um you know sort of handle the grief and create and i know that he would love every minute and everything that i've done so i thought this year have we all been been stressed and stuck inside and why don't we find do something creative in in his memory um you know a- inspired by him it doesn't have to be a drawing or an alien but just anything creative um whether it be a new dish uh making the jewelry making some out something out of wood writing a poem taking a picture you know yeah. i mean the creativeness has no boundaries, right? So I just thought that it would be a great idea and he would think it was really cool because I know when he was in your class, you asked them you know, what they wanted to be when, when they grew up and he wanted to be a professional artist and sell his artwork and he was already doing that in elementary school. And so I think he would be really honored to know that he, he inspired other people to be creative.
0: Lauren, weren't there t-shirts or something? Does my memory serve me?
1: Oh, yeah. There were all sorts of merchandise. He had his own swag. <laughs> so,
0: didn't all the kids wear them and stuff?
1: Yeah, he he was the artist of a school-wide uh, <clears throat> day. We, well, we called it Unique Day. It was actually uh, to it, it was inspired by Chase because he was unique. And so he actually created the little monsters I guess they were monsters on the shirt Um and yeah he was very Love, lovable monsters very lovable yeah but it, it was funny because Julie spoke earlier about how he was very particular he had a vision for his work so I remember you know I had my own vision of what these t-shirts would look like and it was not jiving with what Chase had in mind so he was he it just reminded me of like an you know an older artist like in his studio and he was like no no Miss Luciani like I, I know what this is gonna look like so it had to be purple and it had to be white and he had the he had everything in like in his mind before it even came out. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, every almost every kid in the whole school had the t shirts and yeah, and, and there have been many other things that have been created with his artwork on it.
0: Lauren, if, if I can, speaking of, of the kids at school, how how did the, the children in the, in his class handle Chase's illness?
1: I think that it was obviously incredibly difficult for them but I like to believe and I, and I do believe that it changed them to be better people well he changed them to be better people and uh, they you know they, they I watched well, I was with these kids for two years so I really got to see the progression and their empathy And their ability to be compassionate toward one another and the bonds that they shared and the way that they just they weren't they and I think they also led me a little bit because as children they weren't afraid to uh, express. So I think adults were more reserved. We don't know what the right thing to say is and should we do something, should we not? And the kids, they just always wanted to do something. And like Julie said earlier, and they just did, right? So they were constantly making cards and asking about him and wanting to um, hear from him and send him gifts and whatever they could do. And I just, I think that you know, by the end of the year when we asked them, That question we always ask at the end of the year, like, what did you learn and what do you hope to be one day and how will you apply your skills? Almost all of them said, you know, I want to be a cancer doctor or I want to be somebody that, you know, helps others. And so that's not the typical response you hear in fourth grade. You hear, I want to be a YouTube star or I want to be an athlete. Um, So I do think that they were deeply changed um, by Chase's influence.
2: And I know that they still the parents i know who have there were kids and were in his class you know say that that they still speak about him they remember him you know and i uh, you know it makes me sad that they had to lose that and lose a little bit of their innocence because they did lose a classmate but yeah i agree you know it's made me better in many ways yeah. and i'm sure it's made those kids better and more appreciative and
0: i'm sure his his creativity just knew uh, didn't know any bounds i remember lauren would come home this is when she was still lauren you was still living here it,
1: i was living next door yeah
0: yeah and you tell about some of the things the kids did wasn't there something with sticks that the that he planted a stick or something yeah, yeah. so endearing yeah, yeah.
1: a great story too uh that was <laughs> the end of the school year, we had just finished like a big project and we brought the kids out to play kickball and Chase, you know, he started playing and then he came over and he said, you know, Sometimes I think about kids playing with balls and I just don't get it because they you know they throw the ball and then they kick it back and it just keeps going back and forth and there's really no point like it's just a waste of time he would say. <laughs> and you know I of course had nothing to to respond to him with because you know in some ways he's he's right. He's like this little philosopher. So instead he's like I'm going to you know I'm going to find something to do at the playground so him and and one other little girl like left the game and they were going to go prove to me that they could find something with more meaning (laughs) and so I see them over by um the by a tree with like a little pile of dirt and they're putting sticks into the ground, but very lovingly, like digging little holes, putting the sticks and whatever. And so finally, he, him and his friend Claire come over and, and they say, you know, we, we figured out what to do. We, we decided that today will be called National Useless Stick Day. <laughs> Actually, his exact quote was, June 16th shall hence be known <laughs> as National <laughs> Useless Stick Day. And he said every year he wants people to find a stick And planted in the ground as a way to remember that we have to appreciate (laughs) the things that go unnoticed, because a stick a stick can never grow. We know that. And yet we can appreciate it for what it is and find the beauty of what is instead of what can be. And he didn't say it exactly like that, but that that was his sentiment, that deep depth of him. Um, That's how he thought about the world.
0: Kind of a Zen philosopher there. Jeez.
1: Yeah, Julie, didn't you used to call him Buddha Baby?
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was just chill, you know, and he would just sit there and observe, and um, yeah, rare, rarely cried. And that reminds me of, a. I think, once he was watching a, a movie with his father, and um, he just sort of randomly said, um, you know, heaven is around us everywhere, You can't see it, it's invisible, but you just have to remember it's there. Mm. Mm. You know, he was like eight. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know where he got these ideas, but he certainly was an enlightened kid. And, And, you know, that's another thing that people shouldn't say to you, but it's almost like he was already done here, you know? Like, you know, they say that about these kids that are taken so young that it's almost like, they had finished evolving, you know, as souls. And it just only took them like the fraction of the time that Mm. it takes the rest of us. And I don't know, there's something to be said for that idea, I think.
0: I totally agree with that. Gee whiz. Um, From everything I've heard, and, and the few times I've gotten to observe, I mean, Chase, he, he was extraordinary in so many ways. And it's interesting how that he was a magnet. I mean, I saw the kids and also heard the many stories of how, how they just cared for him and wanted to be around him and help him. And so, you know, I, I, maybe it's me and maybe because I haven't taught young kids, but I thought it was kind of extraordinary seeing how compassionate these kids were in a genuinely loving way. It was, it was really a beautiful, beautiful thing to see.
1: I have one memory, as you say that, I actually have photos of it because it was sort of like a shocking moment for me as a teacher because every year you dread the book fair, because every year at the book fair, at least two or three kids start crying because they wanted something that sold out or they didn't have enough money for something and they always wind up buying, you know, like the silly things that um, just because they need to spend all the money that their mom or dad gave them. Uh, so anyway, this one year, Chase was out, I think he was at a doctor's appointment and the kids we, we went to the book fair, and I was just ready for whatever was going to happen. and they wound up on their own pooling all of their money and they bought this very expensive Lego book. Lego book. Yep. And that was all they wanted. They didn't get, they didn't want anything for themselves. And it was like the most beautiful thing to witness. Um, And that's, you know, I, I think that that's partially because of the, the compassionate nature of those children, but also I truly believe it's because of Chase's influence like that's something chase would have done i believe
0: yeah yeah
2: he wasn't into money and stuff that's for sure <laughs> yeah you know he never had a christmas list you always had to push him you know like come on you gotta ask for something <laughs> you know <laughs> and he never wanted to make a wish you know when the kids get sick chase where do you want to go and he'd say i i like crosskill i don't I'm- You're like, you can go somewhere and come back to (laughs) Graskill, you know, don't you want to go to Hawaii, you know, you had to feed it to him a little bit he never really wanted anything it's it's like he knew that that wasn't really that important. Mm
0: Yeah, with that imagination, I guess nothing would compare <laughs> to what what, what he his yeah.
2: Well right, I guess if he want if he wanted it, it came. and the things that he wanted didn't exist like he wanted like rocket boots. <laughs> you know so that was a little difficult to explain why Santa can't bring <laughs> rocket boots.
0: <laughs> I think, Ron, didn't didn't you want rocket boots one time?
2: Uh probably. <laughs> sounds like and, a, and an ice blaster and he wanted a la- a secret lab in the basement. <laughs> and we had explained to him that Santa couldn't come build things in your house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's on a time. Schedule. He didn't he didn't have time for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the busy guy. Yeah. So Julie, <laughs> we're winding down. I just wanted to ask, are you still active in your pursuit of uh, all those uh, running efforts? Yeah.
2: You know, that's a great question. I I have had to redefine that, right? Because I, what I did find, and that's been a journey back. So I, I yes is the short answer now, but I tried to dabble in that. I ran the marathon for the charity uh, in 2018. So that was only about a year and a half after he died and I struggled. I didn't train right, I, I didn't train hard at all, um, but my sort of experience lumbered me through and, and Chase I know it was pushing me, but... Um, and I realized again, like, you know, you get deal with all that pain, that, that emotional pain, that going through some of the physical pain of endurance sports, uh, it just wasn't compatible mm. for that time. So I, I, again, I had to change my expectations and think, do I ever want to do this mm. again? But you know, it is who I am. It, it is what I like to do. And my other son, you riders like mom why, why are you gonna do that again you know it's it's who I was to them and who I am so I've gotten back to doing that and and Ryder and I for for my big birthday last year we did a a triathlon even in our masks and stuff well we got to take them off for the race but uh we managed to find a triathlon to do together and Ryder did a short offer a of triathlon with me and I have some plans to do uh, I'll postpone one from from last year again this year and and it's become meaningful again wow. to me.
0: Uh, um, would you mind if I ask what your best marathon time was?
2: <laughs> um, well, marathons were never my focus. And I always say that because uh, I know I could have done better. Uh, but I did. I did 335 in wow. Boston.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I did. uh, I did uh, 32 hours, 12
1: minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But Julie, um, for that, for the for the marathon you most recently ran um, in Chase's name, the you were raising money for the charity that is doing research on on his brain tissue, right?
2: Yes, we did donate his, his brain and spine, which, which is sort of a difficult decision because of what you know that entails, but was very important. And that was another thing Chase was very practical about. Hey, I'm not going to do that stuff anyway. <laughs> I'll be dead. You know, and we would talk about that before he was ever sick and, you know, and he was like, and I said, yeah, you're right. So we knew we didn't have to have that. So there's a lab that studies rare brain tumors in children mm-hmm. and they have his cells in the cells of other kids and they are making groundbreaking work every year, discovering new things. And so I ran for the children's brain tumor family foundation which raises money to donate to this laboratory that that is that doing that really important work Hmm. so while it took me over five hours to finish that marathon which was a little bit humbling we raised sixty thousand dollars so that was that was fine
0: julie uh it's it's been really an honor to have you and to share what you've gone through, because I think it can help so many others just understand a little bit about a process of how we deal with some of life's more and most difficult challenges. So I want to thank you so much for opening up and sharing, which I'm sure can't be that easy to do even at this stage, but thank you so much. and Lauren, I'll let you.
1: Yeah, we appreciate you being able to share with us. And I think, you know, this this upcoming week is so special as as it is Chase's birthday week. So the timing of this was ah. kind of incredible. And I hope that uh, everyone hears the message and tries to incorporate a little more creativity into their week in honor of lovely Chase. Yeah.
2: One thing I'm sure of is there are no coincidences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: I've certainly come to believe that.
0: I've heard that coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous.
2: <laughs> that's a good way to think about it Julie.
0: Really, thank you so much and yes,
2: thank going you to be... thank you thank you guys for letting me come on and remembering chase it's been really a special thing to me great and
0: All we'll right. be signing off now and and visit our selfcoaching.net website where you can learn more about our self coaching philosophy and check out my number one selling books so until next time remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option by definition victims are powerless and you are not powerless and remember everything is hard until you make it simple so join me and Lauren and yourself. let's make it Reject simple together don't surrender there is more than it seems hold on and fight follow your heart There's your way, love is what you make of it Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams Don't surrender, there is more than